Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17, Episode 25. This is Writing Excuses, Archetypes, Ensembles, and Expectations. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Zoraida. I'm Kayla. And I'm Howard. So we, th- I've been looking forward to this one all masterclass long. Uh, yes. Archetypes and ensembles, really what we're talking about here is, you know, we, we've talked in the past about making every member of the ensemble, you know, meaningful. Now we want to talk about, well, why are they there? Uh, what do they do? How are they different from each other? And what is each one bringing to the table? What, uh, what skills or baggage or whatever do they have? So when, when you're looking at this, Zoraida, when you sit down to start a, an ensemble story, a story that has an ensemble cast, um, how, how do you start differentiating the characters in this way? It, it's hard to say. I've been thinking a lot about this, but it's, it's, sometimes it's hard for me to identify that because uh, I, I think that as I write what the story is going to be, I start with plot first, sometimes not always character, um, which has changed in the last few years. I used to start with character first and then go to plot. Um, but again, it goes back to that question that I asked in uh, a couple episodes ago, which is what is the story about? So once I figure out what the story is about, I understand who needs to populate my world. Obviously, we have a leader um, and the leader should also have another kind of archetype, right? Like, are they an orphan, for example? Are they um, a mastermind? Is is it the villain? Um, And once I start identifying their archetypes, that archetype for the leader, then I understand what is the actual job that needs to get done? Heists are a little bit easier because I think that in heists, you, uh, which is going to be my book of the week, um, in a heist, somebody has a very, very specific job. So what happens when you have an adventure, right? Does somebody bring in a skill? Um, And so I think about skill sets, personalities, um, chaos, right? What is a character that brings chaos and creates tension? Uh, and, and that's kind of where I start in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the way that you started, uh, by talking about, you know, sometimes you start with plot and sometimes you start with character. Cause I do think it's worth pointing out that the point at which you make the decision of this needs to be an ensemble cast might be in the beginning. It might be halfway through. You might have a big chunk of your story already in mind or outlined or whatever and realize, oh, you know what? This is not going to work with a single, you know, person going through this alone. I need to 
add in, I need to, to turn this into an ensemble. Uh, or it might be at the very beginning, you just set out like Howard did to tell a big uh, group story solving a mystery. So that can happen at different points uh, for everybody. Once that decision is made, um, Kayla, have you written ensemble stories before? Yeah, actually, when I look at it, I'm like, oh, maybe I I never thought I was. And then I look at it, I'm like, maybe I always do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think they all are. <laughs> so, so I don't um, do this. Wait, I do it all the time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's kind of the, the, the unofficial sub theme of writing excuses is all of the instructors realizing we do things we didn't know we did. Um, so so <laughs> what about the archetypes themselves? Uh, that's in the title of our episode. What is an archetype? And how does it help us put together an ensemble? Uh, they're reoccurring, like they're reoccurring characters or roles almost that you see a lot. Like uh, the mystical, like the hag or the, uh, I don't know why that's the only one that comes to mind whenever someone says archetype. I'm like the hag. I think the it's because I secretly want to be the hag when I grow up. <laughs> that's my dream. As life goals go. That's a good one. Thank um, you. <laughs> uh, I think that, I, I think that archetype might, might not be the right word for us here because I mean, you look at leverage, the opening credits for leverage, you know, hitter, hacker, grifter, thief, mastermind. Uh, those get defined in a way that kind of makes them archetypes, but uh, Carl Jung would not define hitter as an archetype. But for our purposes, it very much is. Um, I was reading an article uh, just last night, I think, about how many black superheroes have electrical powers. Mm. And I realized, and actually to the point that Mark Wade years ago, did a, a comic book story that called it out. See if I can find the dot line of dialogue. Yeah, the hero says, surprise, I'm a black superhero with electrical powers. I know, I know. Um, because there are so many of them. And I bring this up because when you think of, say, Elliot in Leverage, when you think of the hitter, um, he's a guy who doesn't want to use guns, but he is super good at punching and he's former, you know, special forces and whatever. Are there tropes there that make the definition of hitter predictable? Have you created the archetypical black character with lightning powers um, unconsciously? And so for me, anytime I'm creating a character that feels like an archetype, the first thing I look for is the first thing I start doing is interrogating myself. Am I doing this because I've seen it somewhere before? Am I just recreating a character from Warehouse 13 or Ocean's <laughs> 11 or Fast and the Furious 5? I <laughs> needed to pick things with numbers so that that rule of three worked. Um, or, or am I doing something fresh? And uh, in, in a recent manuscript comment, Sandra said, oh, I like the way the the dopey character puts his foot in his mouth and keeps digging and actually successfully digs his way out the other side and everybody's <laughs> like, good job, because that's not what we see. What we typically see is the dumb character digs his way in deeper and then we dunk on him and we move on with the conversation. Sure. And so I look for opportunities to take the archetype and make it different than what I've seen before. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think no. I feel like so, you know, there's there's like a skill, right, that a character can have, right? And this is like a part of their job, but I also think that there's like a symbol that they represent, right? Like in Star Wars, right? Um going to like to Young, right? And and and, and Campbell, um the 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 dreamy farm boy, the the trickster and in Han Solo the mentor in Obi-Wan, right? Like those are, those are archetypes and they, they like represent something in the story. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you. Like what if like what you think is an archetype is actually maybe a stereotype, right? Um, mm. and how do some shows that have ensemble casts or, or books that have ensemble casts subvert that, um, so that's actually a really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. If you take the mentor, take the idea of the mentor character and make the mentor character also be, I don't know what the archetype would be, but the dopey comic relief. You know, <laughs> this, is the person, this is this is the dumb guy, but every so often, every so often the dumb guy just drops wisdom that puts it together for everyone. They're like, hey, how are you? No, that's good. That's I have learned it. I have no mastered the laser sword. Um, <laughs> okay. So that's actually. I I, I, I want to keep this conversation going, but I am going to stop in the middle. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And do a book of the week. What? Okay. Um, sorry. It's That's gone on too fine. long with no book. Uh, our book of the week this week, uh, Zoraida, you are going to tell us about Six of Crows. Okay. Let me see if I can do this book justice. Uh, Six of Crows is a book by Lee Bardugo. Uh, it is about a group of unlikely friends. They are criminals in a fantasy world called Ketterdom, and they have taken on an impossible job to break out a magical prisoner from a jail that 
is a literal fortress. Uh, and it is one of my favorite books. It's an ensemble cast. It, to me, this book is one of Lee Bardugo's best works overall. It is a masterclass in writing in the way she introduces the stories and the characters. Um, and like, it's just, to me, it's a perfect book. It is uh, also one of the storylines in Shadow and Bone, the TV show currently on Netflix. Uh, Six of Crows is one of my very favorite fantasy books. Um, fantasy heist is difficult to do, mm -hmm. uh, but she absolutely hits it out of the park. So Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. So let's get back into this archetype conversation because I find it really interesting. And uh, one thing I wanted to point out listening to Howard talk about it is that there's two different ways to think about these archetypes because, uh, you know, hacker, hitter, grifter, thief, mastermind, those are the roles that they perform uh, in the plot. But also, when you're dealing with an ensemble specifically, there are archetypal personalities and roles that they can serve uh, kind of emotionally, characterization archetypes rather than plot archetypes. Um, they have the very sophisticated, elegant one. They have the kind of loose cannon, crazy one. They have the really confident, sassy one. Um, they have the kind of uh, quiet, pragmatic one. And you don't have to have the really elegant one be the grifter, like Sophie and Leverage. You could have the really elegant one be something else. Uh, and that is one way to make sure that you're not falling into these stereotypes. Uh, but maybe your ensemble requires you know, a leader who pulls everyone together and it requires kind of a, a really friendly person who is the glue that keeps them together and is the peacemaker that stops the fight. And maybe there's another person who's the, you know, the, the younger one that everyone looks out for. Like there's lots of different kind of emotional archetypes and group dynamic archetypes that are very different from the role they serve in the plot. Yes. Yeah, the Doctor Who episode that I mentioned a month ago, uh, the character's name is Mickey, and his line describes the roles that he thinks he fits. He says, you know, I'm their man in Havana. I'm their tech expert. I'm, oh my God, I'm the tin dog. Um, that, that, you know, if you understand what man from Havana means you can see what Mickey thinks he is and, and where he arrives. Uh, there are, I had another example of it and it's gone now. Um, so I'm going to hand it back off. Well, I, I think if, <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Taylor. No, I, I didn't have anything to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, if you look at the, the six of crows, there are six crows, there are six people in this heist. Um, and I think if you look at, look, you break down sort of their characters, Kaz Brecker is the is an orphan like his archetype i think to me would be the orphan and his job is the leader right um Inej, who she is her job is like a keeper of secrets but she's also um she's also uh, a shadow so she like she she and and also the foil of um kaz brecker um and then you have somebody like Wylan, who Wylan, he uh, Van Eck, who is sort of a hostage, sort of a demo guy, but his archetype is the innocent, right? And so I, I, I start like 
when I study this book, I feel like I'm looking at like, okay, this is their function and this is what they represent in a larger story. Um, and that's, that's sort of an interesting angle to come at, at an, an ensemble cast, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, now when, uh, a concept that Dave Wolverton used to talk about back when I was taking writing classes from him um, is called braided roses. The idea that your characters all have this wonderful rose that makes them vital and important, but they also are covered with thorns. And when mm. you braid them together, they poke each other. And so yeah. when you are putting together an ensemble cast, to what extent are you doing it on purpose to create conflict? Not just people who will inevitably work well together, but people who will inevitably butt heads. Because um, every ensemble we've talked about involves characters fighting and arguing, and and you know they have to come together as a group. They can't just start together as a group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things about ensembles. Like I mentioned earlier in an earlier episode uh, about sandpaper. Like that's the thing that I'm there for, you know? I mean, admittedly, I've said that about like everything about ensembles, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love angling them so that they, that they rub against each other the wrong way in a way that will ultimately make them better. Like again, bringing up Guardians of the Galaxy again, the transition from Guardians of the Galaxy 1 to Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is so interesting because we get the coming together of the group, um, which has plenty of thorns (laughs) as you're trying to get these people together. Um, But then you also get the way that those thorns keep moving as they grow as people because all of them have grown by the end of the first episode. I mean, not episode, movie. Um, and then the second movie, you watch how they're still they're still the same people, so they're still going to be rubbing each other the wrong way in ways that make each other better. That's character growth wise. I just find that so fantastic that they end up being the river stones that end up smoothing each other out. Uh, they the end up they in, always uh, no because, I, the, the moment where in uh, um, Avengers Infinity War when they find Thor and. Everybody's talking about Thor and saying, oh, my God, it's like a pirate had a baby with an angel. <laughs> yes. And Star-Lord is like, you know, what am I, chopped liver here? You know, it's a good, well, you are getting a little soft. You know, you're one sandwich away from another chin. Or at the That bit of characterization where we see that Star-Lord, even though he's ostensibly their leader, uh, feels threatened Anytime he sees someone who's better looking than he is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or more competent or stronger or even with just yes. one eye. I mean, it has to, it has to go, it has to go into your, your character work, you know, like making sure that, uh, that there is, there's, there's cohesion, but cohesion doesn't always mean harmony, right? Like they, these mm-hmm. people can work well together, but they don't all have to be friends or they yeah. have to work to be friends. Well, and, and mm. this doesn't mean that every character has to conflict with every other character. Right. Right. Um, Howard, Howard Dan has, Ocean has his sidekick. Uh, who I, I can't remember Brad Pitt's name in that series. They are inseparable. They never butt heads. They agree with each other uh, almost all the time. And even when they disagree, they don't fight about it. And that helps give a lot more texture to what's going on. I mm-hmm. just, 
remembered a, a it's a piece of piece of biology that has stuck with me forever. Um, when you have a fertilized egg cell that then divides, those two things are genetically identical. Okay. And yet they're going to grow into an organism that has bazillions of cells, all of which have differentiated. The genetics did not tell which cell to do what. They didn't tell a cell, oh, you're going to go be the nervous system. No. You know how they developed that? They fight. They argue over resources and push each other to the outside. And the ones that get pushed the furthest to the outside, hey, congratulations, uh, you're becoming the largest organ in the body. You become skin uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so this idea that the, uh, the ensemble comes together through conflict is in biology. <laughs> it's incredible. 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 Right. Kayla, you have our homework this week. What is it? I do. Uh, today, I want y'all to identify the archetypes of each character in your work in progress. Take whatever you're working on, uh, figure out what it is, like what each what each archetype is, what role they're serving, stuff like that. But I want you to try something out. Change that archetype or give them a sub archetype to try to branch out and create rounder, unexpected characters. Like what we were talking about earlier. I think one of my favorite things is when you have a like a role and you expect it to be a certain way, you have a stereotype in your mind or something like that, but then you combine it with this emotional archetype that's not always together, like the cold emotionalist warrior, let's say, but they turn out to be the maternal figure, like the mother of the group. I love that combination because you don't always see it, but they work together, like new ways of exploring to give your characters more humanity, I suppose, more nuance. Sounds great. This is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. The Writing Excuses 2022 cruise and workshop aboard the Liberty of the Seas is filling up fast. If you want to join us, go to writingexcusesretreat.com and register today. Looking forward to seeing you. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.